about the music industry and you don't know where to go. Tune in to WP88.7, Brave New Radio. We got managers, producers, record labels, concert promoters galore. More Brave New Radio 8.7 WPSC, the only college radio station on the campus of William Patterson University. Yeah, I'm your brother, David Kirk Phil. We're here with Steve O, Steve Robertson, Atlantic Records. Hey! There, there we go. And we're here with Dr. Esteban Marconi. That's right. And my co host. I'm your David professor, Kirk David Kirk Phil. Very happy to be here. And of course, we have Samantha Cruz. I keep wanting to say Elizabeth. <laughs> We are here with Samantha Cruz. Your Samantha mother is Elizabeth. Elizabeth. I'm sure she's listening live right now. But this is Samantha Cruz, who is the student who got us here in Nashville, Tennessee. She actually rode the boat that got us here and ah. uh, was able to book Steve Robertson, Steve-O, from right. Atlantic Records, Nashville. Not based in Nashville, but not Atlantic Records, Nashville. Right. To uh, be, don't you dare correct me. Sorry. Right. Even if I'm wrong, don't correct me. So we're here, on, and so we're going to make this happen, Music Biz 101 and more. Before we get into this whole thing, we need to tell you, Go to musicbiz101wp.com, read our stuff, sign up for the newsletter, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, the Facebook at musicbiz101wp. And of course, the podcast is on iTunes, SoundCloud. And we are listening to this on Brave New Radio, the number one radio station for colleges, which they call a college radio station in the United States of America. GoBrave.org. That's right. Big thanks to the Music Biz Association for the space we are here in Nashville. We are on location. That's in the language for location. And then we are here. Uh, so thanks to Jim Nonio and then all that for being in Nashville. All right. We want to thank the folks at Van Dyne, Bruno, Inc. and White Hat Management with artists like Charlie Puth, Dave Matthews, and Kiss. There's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to VB. Hyphen. <laughs> 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 CPA.com when you are ready, when it's best for you. So if, you need a if you're in a band, you need band management, or you have bands and they need band management, they can go to Van Dyne Bruno, Inc. Good to know. There you go. And also we want to thank Rob Fusari. You ever heard of Rob Fusari? Uh, actually, yes. Okay, Rob wrote Bootalicious, and oh. Rob wrote No, No, No Paparazzi. for Dusty's Child. He wrote Paparazzi with Lady Gaga. He yes. helped discover that, he produced the fame. Yes. And he went to our program at William Patterson. He graduated with me. Is he actually. the one that helped name Lady Gaga? Is yes. That the guy? yes. He was the guy who discovered her. He was involved in many things after. Since she had a queen vibe, exactly. Yeah, there that's it. Yeah, there we go. You know your Rob Fusari Lady I do. I that's, do. that's pretty Good. cool. So, uh, Steve O, yeah. that's all we need out of him. Well, that's right. He proved I, himself. I know Thank Peter, you. Peter Gamberg has known him as well. Rob Fusari. Yeah. There we go. Man. Okay. Right and finally, everybody should know that Managing Your Band, sixth edition, written by Dr. Esteban Marconi. And? Little help by me. Is okay. coming out, is out probably when you're listening to this on, uh, you can get it anywhere on Amazon.com. 666. That's right. Sixth edition, June 6th. That's where the 666. Uh, it's a band manager for the devil in you. And you'll get a free copy. Samantha Cruz. Oh, sorry. Samantha. <laughs> Samantha. <laughs> Good afternoon. Today I'm honored to be sitting across Senior Vice President of A&R at Atlantic Records, Steve, a.k.a. Steve O. Robertson. How does living in Nashville compare to living in Orlando? Uh, I did A&R for Atlantic Records in Orlando, Florida for 17 years, and they let me work out of my house and listen to music and make phone calls and be on the internet all day, which was great. 
until it wasn't great anymore. And um, I was not enough in a music community. Uh, Orlando is not known for its thriving music industry. And at one time, there was, when I first got my job, that's when Sync and Backstreet Boys sure. and Lou Pearlman mm-hmm. and his whole thing was going on. And Creed had moved their operations to Orlando. And there were other managers there. And, uh, and there were actually bands breaking out of Florida a lot in the 90s. But that's all since changed. And um, so I felt the need to either be in L.A. or Nashville. And I chose Nashville because this town is changing so much. Great. Yeah. So, how exactly did you get into the music business? Uh, through radio, through programming radio in Orlando. Uh, I was programming an alternative rock station in the 90s and found some unsigned bands that um, I thought <coughs> sounded like they had hit songs. So, I had the luxury of having a 100,000 watt radio station uh, where they would let me play the records that I wanted to. And so I, I got a, uh, an album from a band called Collective Soul, mm. and they were unsigned. And I went through their album, and I heard a song called Shine, and I liked it. And so I asked one of the DJs, I said, go in there, and if you find a spot, play this on the air. And they did, and they came in right after and said, oh, my God, we got like 20 phone calls after I played that one to know what it was. Because in the 90s, we didn't have Shazam. We didn't have any of that. If you want to know what it was, you had to call the radio station. Mm. So, after doing that a few times, I added Collective Soul, Shine, into regular rotation. And then it blew up in Orlando and started selling a lot. Atlantic Records came and saw the band in Orlando and signed them, and then they became... That song ended up being a number one song the next year in the country. So, that happened, and then that got my wheels turning, and then I found another band called Seven Mary Three that were from Orlando, and they had a song called Cumbersome. I played Cumbersome, the same thing. People called, put it in rotation. <laughs> Atlantic Records came and signed them because the record stores, we had record stores back then too. We had people who call a radio station and they would also go to a record store and say, hey, I heard this song called Cumbersome on WJRR. Do you have it? And so when that happens enough times, it starts making a buzz. And there were other bands from that time that I had a hand in either playing on the air or getting to the next level. And so Atlantic hired me to do that for them full time. And they just happened to let me stay in Orlando. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you first discover your love for music? Um, I'm the youngest of six kids. I have three older brothers, two older sisters, and uh, my all my brothers were. My oldest brother was a DJ. I'm from Fort Wayne, Indiana, originally, mm-hmm. and my oldest brother was a DJ at the rock station in Fort Wayne, and I was in whatever the first, second, third grade. And my brother was like a celebrity, and I thought that was just the best thing. And so that's, and then he started giving me free records. So he would give me Elton John and David Bowie, and because he would get them from the radio station. So aside from listening to him on the radio, then he would give me these albums that, um, that I would do the classic thing, put on headphones and look at the artwork. And, and, I, and so that started to form my, my tastes for rock music and, and luckily he gave me really good records to listen to. So that was in grade school with my brother being a DJ was where that came from. Was that that big, that radio station that had all the power? That you You're thinking of Whoa Whoa. Oh, that's right. That was an AM station, which yeah. is very much a part of my childhood. And because were, were you in New York, New Jersey at that time? Yeah. And you could maybe on a clear night could hear Whoa oh, Whoa. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. But I, there was, that was legendary how far that station would reach. Yeah, I remember exactly. that. But I was on the road in the early 70s, 
that was on Epic Records would have been. But I remember, you know, doing gigs and so on in the middle of the night, this yeah. loudest thing in the world would come on the radio. It station. was, yeah, I still don't fully understand it, but the AM, I guess the AM band somehow... And somehow threw it out, boy. Can throw it up, yeah, yeah. at long distances. Everybody anyway, this was not Whoa Whoa, it was WMEE, which was like the rock station in Fort uh-huh. Wayne at the time, so... Okay, so what's the best advice you wish you would have known before getting into the business? Hmm. It took me a minute to figure out. I figured I figured that once I became an A&R guy for Atlantic Records, I figured that word would spread and unsigned artists everywhere would come to me and want to be and want to know me and want to I just figured I didn't think it would be so much work. So, so I fa- it took me a while to figure out that I could miss things, even in my own town of Orlando. I had to get out and really work it and do all the things. Yeah, somehow I thought that just the word would travel and I would start to get demos and that would happen. When in reality, I really had to get out there and go see shows and meet as many people as I could. And you never know if the manager you're talking to here is going to end up introducing you to some other person that may not seem important or whatever but that person could know about the a band that whole networking thing took me a minute to figure that out could I ask you a question about managers yeah because we should get into the mechanics of actually how you sign a band uh, from in the A&R perspective but can a bad manager turn you off from signing a band yes okay great thing to bring up because that's also something it took me a while to figure out mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because the team, I just figured, oh my God, there's this artist is so incredible. It's going to happen by virtue yeah. of the, their talent. greatness and the talent. Right. Yeah. But there's a million different ways to screw it up. Mm-hmm. And if a manager is a jerk or, uh, you know, or is not the kind of personality that can get along with people at a record label, then that can, that can stop the train real quick. Have you ever messed up and s- signed a band and then people are... Uh, You've been involved, the band is signed, and then maybe six months later or something, you're starting to get calls. Man, this manager is just mm-hmm. the worst. Define mm-hmm. jerk, because it can be, an, you know, in, in You've got to be a jerk. I know what you're getting at, because right, you yeah. have to be, what's the word I'm looking for? A cheerleader for your group. Cheerleader for your group, and you have to not take no for an answer, because the label will say, oh, we, hey, we, the manager might say, oh, let's try this thing, or can you kick in, we need to get in on this tour, but it's going to take some money, extra money. And the late, whoever's running that department may just say, no, we don't do that. And then the manager has to go into jerk mode or, mm-hmm. or persistence mode to try to push it to the next thing. So I have been in that. I've been in, that, in the position, another thing, to your question and to your question, that I learned early on with the first band I signed, which shall remain unnamed, but um, that not only a jerky manager, but an unwilling art. Uh, I made the mistake of assuming that if I found an artist that I thought was commercial and that I loved, I assumed that they wanted it as much as I did. And I found out that, because it takes a lot of hard work, and to do that hard work, you have to have the desire to to be as big as the label wants you to be. And I found out early on that um, through the singer of a band that I had signed, I just assumed, you're on Atlantic Records now, you're gonna do all the stuff we need you to do. And he was unwilling to do a lot of that that legwork, which I know you must know a lot about. You said sure. you, were in a, you were in a band and yeah, on sure. Epic, yeah. so it's hard work, right? And it's even harder work now. 
Yeah. Because there's all the different social media that you have to... Much harder. Yeah, there's so many more things to do. Um, so that's three mistakes or three things mm -hmm. that I learned uh, mm -hmm. early on. So how do you overcome those now? What, what, you must have either a physical checklist or in your head as you're basically interviewing a band over however long that may be. You must have in your head, okay, I know I want to know who the manager is. I want to know what their work ethic is. I want to know mm -hmm. um, what their musical process is, if these guys are really getting along or if I'm just hitting them and they're being good to each other right now because I'm in the room and I'm going to leave and they're going to break up in a month. You know, where, What are all the things that you're... All of those things that you just mentioned, right. uh, the manager, if it, it's you, you need to get along with the artist and there has to be a rapport there, but just as important is the manager thing. You have to vet the manager like you vet the artist to make sure there's no hidden you know uh, bombs in the road mm -hmm. you know because I've been there you're you're the only two people the A&R guy and the manager are the only people that give a crap about mm -hmm. whatever artist you've got to be your own team in and of itself you know I'm on the inside of the label he's on the outside of the label but we both have almost 100% of the same goal, which is to blow that artist up as big as they can be. Right. And How do you so, oh, Sorry. I was just saying, and Lou Perelman's model for, I guess, kids 16 and, and under probably was a good model if he wasn't such a corrupt... Yes. You know, I mean, the, but the model of taking total control mm -hmm. over every aspect of it until, you know, if you were not corrupt until a certain time then you let them of course be and, and so on and so forth it's probably really a, a model that would work mm -hmm. you know and of course uh, Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and so on I mean he screwed them all and he died in prison and so yeah. on and so forth but but I, I'm thinking about that when you're talking here saying well he I guess putting them in the house and so and maybe it wasn't you know mm -hmm. but just he's agreed you know what got Nixon yeah, gets everybody. And, <laughs> and Reed got what's about to get too. somebody else sometime soon, probably. Yeah. Anyway, um, it's yeah, it's the Motown. Th you know, only Barry Gordy. You know, was not. Yeah, Lou Pearlman. Right. <laughs> it's kind exactly. of the Motown model. He had some talent too. Yeah, Barry, Barry, Barry for sure. <laughs> I know. I mean, Barry Lou wrote. Barry well, he was a writer too. Oh yeah. Right? And sure. he, uh, but he had a little of uh, Lou Pearlman in him. Ask Barrett Strong, who wrote Money. That's what I want. And yeah. Barry Gordy erased his name when he uh, submitted oh. a copyright. And that was a great article in the New York Times a couple of years ago. Oh, how wow. uh, Barrett yeah, Strong, that. the uh, st uh, statute of limitations was over. And he was only made money from playing live, but never made any money from the recording. Yep. And it's such in the Beatles did that song, you know, I mean, so that was such a... So Barry uh, Gordy literally, he stole it from me. Yeah, literally one of those guys who stole, yeah. Who was the guy who worked with uh, Tommy James? Who was the... Uh, oh, uh, well, um, um, come on. The, uh, <laughs> Keep talking. Yeah, no, th th you think about that. Okay. While you're thinking about that, you mentioned vetting the manager. Mm -hmm. So what do you do to vet a manager? It's Is just it gut? Just Morris, spending time? Personality. Morris Levy. Morris Levy. Morris Levy. That's who we're thinking okay. It's just spending time. Just, spend, just like you would vet anybody. Mm -hmm. uh, making sure your goals are the same. Making sure that not only that he vouches that the band is ready to do everything that you need them to do, but that he's ready to do it. Right. You know? Weak oh. manager can just kill it. Right. How? What's? Do you have a time frame? Do you usually say, "Well, I want to spend three months"? Seems to be the rule of thumb, or six months, or a year is my rule of thumb. 
working uh, with all these people? Absolutely, case by case. Mm -hmm. I signed a 15-year-old girl out of Florida um, uh, over a year ago, and I told her, um, speaking of Lady Gaga, she's her, I would describe her thing as Lady Gaga meets Sia, um, mm -hmm. incredible talent, but she's 15, mm -hmm. and she's also a writer. So I know from experience, when I sit down with her parents and her, I'm like, you're not going to have a record out. You're not going to have a single out in the first year. Mm -hmm. You're going You're going through, you're going to write with the best people I can put you with, and we're going to figure out not only the songs, but the sound and um, and all that. And that takes time mm -hmm. and a lot of money. And she's, mm -hmm. she's taken probably 10 trips to Los Angeles. I've had her in Nashville five times, New York. Um, and that, it's just now starting to come into focus, and we're over a year into her development. Mm. So is that a development deal? Is that an actual no. singles or album deal? She signed to a full deal. That's how much she had absolutely nothing going on mm -hmm. other than this immense talent. Nobody else knew about her. I showcased her for Craig Kalman and Julie Greenwald and Pete Gambarg, and, and it was just undeniable. So it's interesting the way it happens. You know, we're always, I just did a panel about mm -hmm. A&R research and looking for artists that are buzz, start to buzz, either on Spotify or SoundCloud or whatever. And you're looking for that because that's it's hard enough to find an artist mm -hmm. that is going to do well commercially. It's nice to have um, data Some that data. says somebody gives a crap, you yeah. know, about this, or somebody's list, somebody's out there listening. Yeah. So maybe we can multiply that. And then there's other artists that are just so great, they have nothing going on. In the case of this girl that I'm talking about, that you sign them anyway. You just sign them. We're all in a room. We're like, yep, doesn't get any better than that. Sign her. Mm -hmm. And then you're sort of rolling the dice in the fact that hopefully she's going to work real hard hopefully she's going to go and plus she's underage so you're dealing you're signing the parents too mm -hmm. so was there a, a vetting process of the parents yep yeah luckily they seemed like sane people mm -hmm. that were not too hardcore and were willing to these are all great questions because it's exactly Mm -hmm. the process and uh, luckily I, I consider them friends so far especially her dad her dad is her official chaperone so we have to when I send her to LA we have to buy two plane tickets mm -hmm. one for her one for him and uh, and they go out together we rent them an Airbnb and so that they can live and for a month month and a half at a time and um, and so far so great with this particular one but we've all heard the horror stories yeah. of, mm -hmm. of a parent that just it's it's almost a conflict of interest, but yet they have to be involved because their goals are clearly not the same as their record label. They want their kid to be successful, but maybe in a different way. Mm -hmm. yeah. Are the parents acting as her manager? Uh, no, they are not. And uh, we've heard the horror stories about that too. Sure. <laughs> um, they are not acting as her manager, no. Okay. I wish you luck with that. Thank you. I, 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 sincerely, because I can. Um, it's a, it's an interesting thing because uh, you have these kids, and we've we've talked with other uh, young people who have been had people come in, not a label person, but a third party who wants to come in, but they want the parents to give money mm -hmm. so that they can say, now we'll get you a label deal or we'll do this, which oh, is man. scamming. Terrible. You know? Yeah, I don't even know. Um, is there an example where that's ever? Worked. Worked. I would say no. It's I'm, very hard to say. It's an easy thing to sell to somebody because people don't have access. And so right. you sell that that's, access. That's it. And it seems legit on some level, but it just isn't. 
Right. <laughs> well, Lou Pearlman, Lou Pearlman, going back to him, was able to get all these kids to sign, and he signed himself. He was their manager. He also, if there are five in the group, he signed himself as the sixth member of the group. Hmm. So he was double dipping. He was getting a, uh, a royalty as an artist, and he was also getting his 20, 20, probably 25% yeah, as yeah. manager. But he was lucky because the parents never read any contracts. Wow. So it wasn't until after they made it big and after they're touring all over the world that the parents and the kids start going, we're not seeing any money. We're seeing a little bit of money from the tour just to survive, but we just sold 10 million records. There's no royalties coming in. Yeah. Right. Finally, they started looking at the contracts, and that's when... So wait a minute. Justin Timberlake, Chris Kirkpatrick, Lou Perlman, <laughs> band member. Yeah, yeah. Jesus. Right. So it, when do you... Um, I'm going to ask the question in reverse. You sign somebody, and the first product comes out, and it's not doing what you want to do. When do you make the decision that not I'm dropping, but I'm going to throw more money in and I'm going to, mm. I still believe in this. I'm going to double down and. Yeah, I believe in this person. I put him with um, whomever to, to write. So we put him with. Um, Wiz Khalif. With, you know, or, or, Charlie Poop. Or Luke yeah. or whomever. So they had all the right pedigree, mm -hmm. but yet that you've got this something there that you think. I wish I could. Tell you, I have a specific answer for that. It's happened. I've done it all different ways. I've done the thing, put out the record, and everything didn't happen. And I looked at it and said, "This artist, it, it just feels like it's done." Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm actually in the process of. I have an artist named Meg Myers, mm -hmm. who's an alternative rock artist, kind of like a Fiona Apple meets Alanis Morissette. She's mm -hmm. great. She's incredible. I signed her. Um, and we made her first record, which we put out a couple of years ago. We had one single that showed signs of life, but overall the project did not explode. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. It doesn't have to happen on the first record. Right. But I, I could, it was up to me after that first record comes out and does or doesn't do what it does. And I can go to, you know, to, the, to Craig and Julie and Pete and say, I, this isn't for us anymore, I don't believe. But I, in her case, I'm doubling down. And I'm and I because I believe so much that she's a star. Mm -hmm. So and we just tried different things for the second record, and now we and I'm almost done with it. We're almost done with it. So in the case, so I have I have dropped artists after mm -hmm. the first record because I lost confidence. Yeah, well, not only in know, right. not only from the results of what didn't happen, but also in that artist that they weren't really willing to go all the way. But in other cases, you know, you double mm -hmm. down, you triple down. Mm -hmm. And I think an artist many times doesn't understand how small this business is. Yeah. Because uh, we were on Epic, we got dropped by Clive when he was dropping everyone that didn't have a producer in the studio, uh, even though we had been gone to Columbia Record Conventions and one of those groups to watch, you know, in those old days and wait for all the jobbers and so on and so forth. And to then try to get another deal after there was bidding wars for us for the first deal. It's that's it. That's and, you know, mm -hmm. Columbia tried. I mean, those are just Columbia. And it didn't not happen. I think that's most often the case <laughs> that you're damaged goods or whatever, right? Yeah. That once you go or signed by a major. And, and the artist always says that that damn like a label is their fault. You know, you know. Um, Wiz Khalifa on Atlantic was signed to another major label. Yeah, one of our good. one of our A and R's wisely stepped in. I think the same is true of Bruno. Mars, 
Uh, Katy Perry had been signed. Katy Perry had bounced around. Yeah. So well, it does, yeah. like I always tell young people that are coming into this business, like whatever experienced people like us say about, oh, well, that's the, here's the way that it is. You can always find an example of the complete yep. opposite. So what you're saying is totally true. Yeah. More often than not, you get signed. It doesn't happen. And then that might yeah. just be it for that project because yeah. right. no, nobody wants to touch damaged goods. But it also, the complete opposite does happen. Right. But yeah. five out of... <laughs> right. Most of the time. Millions, thousands, you know. Yeah. I mean, you can find percentages examples so low. So what is your favorite part of the job and the least favorite part of the job? My most favorite part of being an A&R guy for a major label is, um, sounds obvious, but it's... Listen, not only listening to music, but getting that feeling of, oh, like, oh boy, I listen to a hundred things a week, and if one of those things is like, oh, okay, that, that's that feeling, it's the same as being a consumer. I always tell people this job is like being a professional fan, because it, it kind of is, because you're just you're trying to find the thing that nobody else knows about, that you can be their first or <laughs> among their first fans, and and. Just like when I was in high school and college and in my early 20s, I was always the guy turning all my friends on to whatever new band they didn't know about. So, because for whatever reason, I got off on that. And so now I do it professionally and um, that doesn't go away. You know, radio is the same way. That's why I got into radio. And I wanted to be, I was a classic rock DJ for six years in Miami and, and, uh, which was awesome. I love Led Zeppelin. I just, you know, I didn't want to play Led Zeppelin every, the same damn Led Zeppelin songs every day, <laughs> which is what I was doing. I wanted to break, I wanted to be a part of breaking new bands. So that's how I ended up in Orlando at the Alternative Rock Station. So it's just, I guess it's just in my genetics to not only listen to music, but find the thing that nobody else knows about. Mm -hmm. That's so. the thing you like best. What was the thing you like yeah, least? Yeah, like the... Um, that there's, a, you actually have to manage budgets and you actually have to do <laughs> stuff this feels like work that's my least favorite and telling the and telling an artist you're dropping them yeah 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 that's gonna be really yeah. tough I have yeah I've been there and I've had to say it and I don't take it lightly <laughs> and you develop a relationship sure with people did you have a good relationship with your A&R or was it Clive no, no it wasn't Clive A&R uh, was going through several changes at Epic at the time so several. you didn't really have like a one main no and the the producer we started with went to Capitol during middle of our middle of our project. Damn it! So <laughs> they called me into us. They gave me an assist on the album too, but you know it was so green, and we had the classic example of the manager that was our friend that used to book us in Syracuse, and mm -hmm. and he couldn't swim at the Barracudas. Right. Uh, by the time we figured that out, and uh, we went to a real legitimate manager. He gave us a contract that we should have done this with and given him ours, and that and, and finally met. No, we read the contract and this guy got and he got high with us and everything. We ran back to our other old, the old guy. It's just a total classic. Yep. You know, but we had been given. I mean, when you go to a, a record convention like Columbia and be Clive stands up there and every night, you know, there's three or four groups they introduce, and this was uh, 1970 with. Uh, you know, Miles' Bitches Brew, and hmm. then uh, John McLaughlin, uh, uh, the, the guitar player. John, uh, 
Butler? No, no, uh, no Maharishi Orchestra. Yeah, yeah. And that, I mean, it was exciting times, you know, and all of that. And you get to be one of those, you know, I mean, Clyde put his arms around me and said, you put out a single, we're going to make you millionaires. Hmm. And I had asked him <laughs> subsequently, years later, what happened? And he says to me, yeah, what happened? What happened? And that was yeah. it. You tell me, what That's happened? That's right. <laughs> We've learned a lot. Samantha uh, needs to ask the final question. What do DIY artists need to do to get on your radar? Uh, artists that are trying to get noticed by uh, A&R people. Um, I would, it's funny. We have, there are so many more tools available now, but everybody knows how to use them. So in one way it's easier, in another way it's harder to start the thing online. I'm looking for people that, I'm looking for an artist if, if they are actually are an artist and they have their thing and they're putting out music and I'm gonna I'm looking for you know SoundCloud streams and Spotify streams and YouTube views and so to to get on my radar if you're a working artist and you're out there doing your thing do your thing and make and prove that people care and are seeking you out and listening to your music online and that proof is in the pudding of in the digital pudding mm -hmm. of Streaming, you can actually measure that. So they should either work really hard at that, and 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 really get fans on their own, at least in their own town or their own region or their own whatever website it is. <coughs> show show me that. But conversely, if you're not a working artist and you haven't figured it out yet, and you just happen to be a great singer, and you're you know get a great manager you know get record you got to have recordings even if it's just rough demos find a manager or or attorney either in your town or in your area and then have them represent you to reach out to me because usually when artists when i get an email that says hi i'm a great singer and i here are my songs i'm usually as callous as it sounds i'm like delete <laughs> i could be deleting my future by the way and i'm aware of that but there's only so much time so i have to pick and choose between the things that what's going to take up the next three minutes of my life am I going to open the email from an artist who who doesn't even have a manager or someone that believes in them enough to reach out to me um, they could be the next Bruce Springsteen I don't but I don't have time to figure it out because I get so many things I have to so I would say get somebody to represent you um, if you're if you don't have music out on your own especially if you don't have music out on your own if you do have music out and you're doing that and touring do everything in your power to get as much audience to the music and streaming it and viewing it and all that stuff. So then at least I can look and say, wow, there's people that actually care. All right. Well, that's awesome. and we, Yeah, and people are going to care about this interview. Yeah. Well, well are they? They are. Yeah. Good. All yeah, right. They don't care about you, but they, they see, don't care about me. They see the A ampersand R, and they're like, oh, my God, A and R, I got to know that guy, you know? So uh, thank you very much, Steve, thank you. Yes, Steve thank Robertson, you. Atlantic Records. And, it, and you're Atlantic Records. You're not Atlantic Nashville. You're just Atlantic Records. Atlantic based Records. in Nashville. I happen to be in Nashville. Right. That's all it is. Doing I mean, pop and rock music. There not we even go. doing country. That's right. And uh, New Paramore Record came out. New Paramore album That's is you. out. After Laughter, signed that band in 2003 and Haley Williams is 28 years old and she just put out her fifth major label mm -hmm. album which is crazy mm -hmm. yeah so congrats to you for thank that. you that's good yeah. is that your biggest signing for Atlantic what would you say your biggest it's hard to say probably they have a rock band called Shinedown that does really well and mm -hmm. yeah. they've had lots thank you they've had lots of hits and 
uh, Meg Myers is coming along, and mm -hmm. there's mm -hmm. and some other exciting things coming. But those two bands, Shine Down and Paramore, have each put out at least five records, and they're all either gold or platinum. Wow. So it sounds like I'm bragging, but since you asked, I asked, I wanted you. <laughs> that, that's that's a big deal. That's pretty cool. So so Steve O, Steve Robertson, thank you so much for yes. being here. Really appreciate it. Samantha Cruz made it happen. Samantha, there we go. Thank you, Rose. Dr. Esteban Marconi, you brought it. You brought the yes. past alive. Boy, and my co-host, as usual. <laughs> Professor David Kirkville, oh, who is me. I, me, right. the guy. So we want to thank you. You're going to get your copy of Managing Your Band 6th Edition. Hey. And a can of Turtle Wax. Yes. So appreciate that. <laughs> there we go, just for playing the board game. All right. And uh, at the end of every show, we do not say hello, because that would be silly, because the show's over. Of course. So instead, we use a word that comes from another language, but you may understand it. It goes something like this. Come on.